Don't frazzle my sh- It's the Woodworking Morning Show. Oh, I'm not even wearing my mic. God, that was some, a, that some was a, mornings. That intro was perfect. I yeah. I kind of wish sometimes we had a pre-show instead of just an after show <laughs> to show the craziness that happens to allow the two of us to be here while the kids are still in the house. Uh, so if we get through the whole show, it'll be a damn miracle, people. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. <sighs> but good, I'm going to get a mom. <laughs> something, a battery died, an iPad's not working, <laughs> a Switch Joy-Con is broken. Uh, anyway. Somebody's, Dougie's looking at the kids. Yeah, he just looked at them wrong. <laughs> Poor Dougie. Dougie. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, it's the morning show. I'm Mark. <laughs> I'm Nicole. Today, we're going to talk about woodworking. Yeah. We're going to answer some questions. Uh, I want to thank some people who helped us out by supporting the show at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash woodwhisperer. That's Todd Cagle and Dirk Cummings. So thank you so much, guys. And if you want to help the show out, too, again, that's uh, patreon.com slash woodwhisperer. We've got a bunch of different levels there, different things you could sign up for, uh, and you can get your name on the mm-hmm. show like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You also get priority treatment for your questions. So I've got those pre-selected. Nicole will grab the rest from the YouTube chat room. And we got quite a few here today. Yeah. Yeah, we are definitely frazzled <sighs> this morning, my friends. Yeah. Yeah, no donuts for the kids. No. I got my Vault 76 mug because it feels like we're... In a vault. Yeah, you guys want uh, you guys want access to the shop cameras, my security cameras, so you can see what goes on before. <laughs> it's 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 a messy situation. Well, the kids aren't out here. It's it's just kids. 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 Kids doing what kids do. <laughs> uh, so I do have a, a bunch of questions. I'm going to start with mine here. Okay, um, go for it. Charles Masters says, while I'm not exactly proficient with hand planes, I have been able to surface with them and sand to my satisfaction, but. I'm in a, qu- a quandary. I don't know whether to buy a bandsaw for resawing purposes primarily or a planer. I have a truly restricted shop space and really only room for one or maybe two more pieces of equipment before I'll have to start working out on the driveway. Uh, he says, my projects up to this point have been relatively small, but I'm starting to move into bigger projects. The main one being a 40 inch by nine foot dining table requested, required by my wife as well as other projects that both she and I would like to do. So that's a pretty that's a pretty hefty sized table there, so nothing to mess with. Uh, you know, I would say probably the planer is gonna be your best bet. That would be my first instinct. Uh, a bandsaw, I mean, for resawing purposes, a lot of times you're getting wood in a thickness that's pretty close to what you need it to be anyway, uh, so that you don't necessarily have to do a whole lot of resawing. Uh, but if that was your primary push for getting a bandsaw, I would say at this point you're probably going to get more use out of a planer, uh, especially just that one project alone. You tell me you're going to make a nine-foot dining table. Well, imagine all the hand planing that that's going to require. That doesn't sound like that much fun, uh, So, at least to me. Uh, so I would probably go with a planer. You might, I mean, if you're in the chat, you might see some different opinions there. Uh, it kind of depends on your personal, you know, things, what you're building, what you're going to build in the future, uh, your, your source of material, you know, if maybe you only get stuff in really, really thick thicknesses, boy, that would be awful, wouldn't it? <laughs> but so you have a need to resaw all the time. Um, but still, I just think that that planer is going to be the most useful for you. Okay. Got one okay. here. I got one here from Dan, uh, plan D woodworks. He says, number one, I currently have a shop vac using a two and a half inch hose 
and a Rockler dust separator. In the interest of upgrading both efficiency and noise reduction, I was thinking about a Fane. I never know how to pronounce that. Fane? Fane. Fane. Or new, uh, the new Festool CT15. However, with those being smaller hosed units, I wonder if they make my separator tricky to use. Would the separator also be redundant, given your experience with your Festool extractor? Okay, not redundant at all. I think having a chip separator, something that grabs the heavy stuff and keeps most of it isolated in a bucket so that you don't have to keep replacing filters, especially filter bags, uh, especially if you go with a Festool, those are not cheap bags. So anything you can do to lengthen the life of that bag, you should do it. And if you already have a separator in line, that's fine. Um, as far as it being sort of tricky to use, I don't know what you mean by tricky. Uh, if you're, I know it is tricky to rock a rhyme, especially one that's right on time. Uh, but moving them around, it sounds like you're already doing that. So the idea of like, how do you keep the, 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 the separator with the vac together as a unit? Some people build little custom carts and things like that. Uh, but it sounds like you've already been doing that. So I don't think that that's going to be any trickier just because you move to a Festool system or a Fane. So I think you'll be fine with that. Uh, he says, question number two, I know that you recommend nice hand-stitched rasps like RU, but they could be pricey and don't seem to be available on Amazon at the moment. Uh, do you have any recommendations for something a bit more oriented towards the beginner, intermediate than RU or Lozier? Can, can rasps just have normal names? Mm. Is that possible? I don't, know. I don't think so. Uh, so he suggests a few here, uh, Nicholson, Cutsall, um, I guess there's a Japanese brand, Iwasaki. You know, I've had Nicholson rasps in the past. They vary in quality. I know when I bought them, they were supposed to be like a great bargain and really good. And then quality supposedly went downhill if you listen to forum chatter. So I think you probably can still get decent results with them. Are they as good as the hand-stitched, you know, whatevers? Probably not. But do they need to be? No, you could still get quite a bit done, uh, even if it's not a perfect hand-stitched, you know, thing that we put up on a pedestal. Uh, so Nicholson is a perfectly fine brand. There's different types of rasp, like a Shinto rasp is one. It looks like a bunch of hacksaw blades that were welded together. Um, hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> sure, that's what I was referring to. <laughs> Here's Nicole's uh, wrestling background <laughs> coming to haunt us. Uh, so what else is there? Uh, Cutsaw does make some really good coated um, rasps. I actually have some of those. They, they sent me just a sample pack of them. Uh, one thing I really like about those is they're really flat. Like a lot of the ones for the finer cuts, it's just a flat like steel plate that's been coated with something. Uh, so that can be good for putting on edges if you want to do like an edge profile or something like that. Uh, but the Cutsaw stuff is, uh, is pretty good too and definitely a, a much better price than some of those hand-stitched options. Got a super chat here from uh, Rick Escondon. Escondon? Uh, Mark. Escondon? Sure. Uh, please explain your heritage. Your name is Italian for Spaniard. Yep. That it is. He's half Italian. I'm half Italian, half Hungarian, um, but much whole like... A whole lot of man. And a whole lot of man. <laughs> Take it all in. A whole lot of hair. Um, <laughs> if you look at, uh, you know, the way a lot of... People get their names, yeah. you know, the heritage of a name or the history of a name uh, sometimes comes down to where they came from sure. or what they do or what they did. Right. You know, so you were just an Italian. So we could have been, you know, way back in the day, yeah. immigra uh, immigrated, yeah. Yeah. immigrated yeah. into Italy. And that might have been why the name was what it was. But as far as we can easily trace back, uh, it were Italian. So how long ago they, they sort of had a name change? Mm -hmm. I, who knows? That's so far mm -hmm. back in the family Spagnolo. tree. 
but yeah, so to our knowledge, even though it, it stands or even though it means Spaniard, um, I only know anything about the Italian heritage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Past that point, got me. <laughs> I have no dad, idea. Your dad came over from Palermo. Pl- yeah, from Sicily. Sicily. I still me, have, I still have family mutt. there. Yeah. I'm German. Try tracing your roots back. Irish. Uh, <laughs> those, roots, those roots run deep. <laughs> All over the All place. All over the place. <laughs> All right. I uh, got another. Hey, uh, triple... Triple J Customs, Jose? He's in the chat. And he did oh, a super cool. chat and said, Good morning, Spags. Looking to upgrade my sander. What is your outtake, outtake of the Festool and Dust Collection Collector? You like it, right? He's looking at the sander. Yeah. And So, I mean, you don't necessarily need to put a Festool dust extractor on one of their sanders. You could put other dust extractors or a shop vac on there. Uh, but as a combination, it's great. The sanders... I mean, same thing. It's, you know, a lot of these Festool things are not necessarily game changers. They're just really high quality versions of what they are. Uh, the Random Orbit Sander is a good example of that. It's just a really nicely, like the ETS Sander, a really nicely well-balanced, even Sander. Uh, it's not going to be one that kind of walks on its own and, and creates all kinds of squiggly pigtails in the surface. It's going to be a good quality Sander, good warranty. Um, but overall, it's a great system. Um, but I don't want to ever make it seem like you have to have that in order to get quality sanding because you could certainly get quality sanding results with cheaper brands. You have the ETS... 150. 150. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. Brandon B. says, Hello, I have a fi- I have to fix a frame and panel door. The mm. panel is plexiglass that somebody else made. They use pocket holes. What's the stronger method to frame the plexiglass? Half lap, more centenon? Both. <laughs> I like both of those options better than pocket screws. Yeah. Um, you know, half laps are actually a lot stronger than people give them credit for, uh, just because you've got so much face-to-face uh, glue joint area that those are pretty darn strong. But if you have the ability to just do a simple mortise and tenon joint, go ahead and do that. That's perfectly fine. But either one of those is going to work better than a, a pocket screw situation. Again, not, not that there's anything wrong with the pocket screws, but I do think, you know, those other options would be better. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Maybe there is. I'm not, I'm not saying there is. Got to cover my butt, Nicole. <laughs> you just don't want to. It's just not the time to deal with trolley yeah. <laughs> type stuff. All right. Gordon White wrote in. He says, Mark, have you had to change your sharpening routine with the new PMV11 utensils? Bevel angles, micro uh, bevels. Let me just stop you right there. No, it's all the same. Uh, the great thing about PMV11 for the most part is you pretty much do all the same stuff you've ever done with it. It's just easier to sharpen in a lot of cases. Um, so I pretty much have the same exact sharpening routine, the same bevels, the same micro bevels. I haven't changed anything. Uh, what I might try to do is let's say, where are my chisels? They're in there now. I can't pick them up. Uh, let's say my 30 degree bevel that I have on my chisels is really, really robust, right? The reason I go with a 30 degree bevel, because a lot of times when you chop, uh, if you have a very shallow angle, something like a 20 degree or a 25 degree, uh, it's easier to break the material at the edge. So I like to go a little bit uh, more severe, 30 degrees, and that puts a little more steel behind the tip, and that makes it a little bit stronger. So if I notice that things are fantastic at 30 degrees, I might try to see if I can get away with 25 and see how that responds to chopping. Because uh, the lower angle tends to be a little bit better for pairing action. And it's a little bit, you can make it almost feel sharper in a sense uh, if I want to do any kind of pairing strokes with that. Not that the 30 degree won't work too, 
but sometimes it's nice to go with that lighter, you know, that the 25 degree bevel. Um, but again, anytime in the past I've done 25, I've gotten into trouble when I was chopping, right? Because it gets a little bit fragile. So, but that might, that might be the only thing I'm going to do, but I don't know for sure. Hey, Judy uh, Grass is in the chat. Hey. Says, good morning, Spags. I finally made it to a live chat. Ah, there welcome, you go. Judy. Well, welcome, Judy. Good to see you. In that tiny little space. <laughs> in that little teeny tiny circle. I see a little bit of your head. Okay. Um, Judy looks like she'd be in my family. Mm -hmm. She looks like a relative. Uh, okay. Where am I? Uh, Araya Woodworks. What do you think about shellac? I want it easy to spray, easy to repair, and low in chemicals way to finish furniture. I usually use poly. Shellac is fine. There are a lot of people who love it. We had a video on shellac, it. right? An I, old I've, video. Yeah, I've done some shellac stuff. I mean, most of the time my use of shellac has been for like a sealer, uh, maybe a little bit of blotch control. I haven't used shellac as a primary standalone Episode 262. Finish. Well, that's how to make the shellac. A quick, a quick and dirty two-pound cut. Of shellac. Yeah. And then that's the other thing. Shellac under polyurethane, uh, rubbing a high-gloss finish. So I've used it, but I use it almost as a tool, not as a final finish. Now, that said, shellac is an age-old finish. It's a, a wonderful finish on a lot of old furniture. You'll find it. Um, there are people who swear by it and think it's a lot more durable than it gets credit for but you're right. It is, in, in a sense, one of the few film finishes that is fairly easy to repair uh, because the finish kind of blends into itself whenever you apply a new coat. It just kind of melts in. So if you have a scratch, you can sand that scratch and just kind of spot treat the area. I mean, it takes a little finesse to, to make that work, but theoretically, you can repair that film a little bit easier than you could with any other type of finish. So uh, some lacquers do that as well, but that's not a bad option, you know, and it is... The only kind of nasty chemical you're dealing with is denatured alcohol compared to some of the other stuff that we mm -hmm. deal with out there. You're right. That's not as bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's fine. Look into it. There's a learning curve like any other finish. Um, look into its protective qualities so you know what you're in for or if you're making this stuff for other people so you know what they're in for in terms of maintenance. Um, I would say, though, as a general all-around go-to finish for furniture for other people, it would not be my first choice uh, just because it's not that... It's not my favorite. It's not my, it's not my favorite. <laughs> I do not like that one. Just, you know, durability concerns and things like that. All right. Should I do another one of mine? Sure. Oh, my gosh. That's a long one. Okay. Alex Kilpatrick says, what are your thoughts on using white acrylic backed hardboard or marker board as a replacement work surface for a combination outfeed assembly table? Glue cleanup would be a breeze and it could serve as a dry erase board for the shop. I think it's great. I think sacrificial surfaces that could be replaced on anything you're going to do assembly on or work, you know, if it's possible. If it's replaceable, then you can just refresh it and it looks brand new. That's the great thing about that. I did that on my first assembly table. I had a little insert uh, eighth inch hardboard uh, just held in with screws. And you could pop that sucker out and replace it whenever you need to. So I think it's a great idea. I love the idea of the marker board, the whiteboard. So you can kind of take notes on it and do dry erase sort of things on there. Um, if you think you'll use that a lot, that sounds like a great idea. It's actually kind of clever. Uh, let's see here. I got a question from... I did Brandon B's. Matt Robin. Ted Woodworking Plans, Wood Archivist, and other zombie sites. How do you protect plans from ending up there? You don't. You get a lawyer maybe? You spend a lot of money. But even then, it's... Uh, you just... You don't. To... Here's the thing. You can't fight it. Um, we, we have 
you have to kind of come around, if you produce digital plans, you have to come around to understand that the protections you could put in place, I mean, what you're talking about is like a retroactive action. That's really hard to do. A lot of these, um, a lot of those companies are overseas. There's not a whole lot you can do. Um, you can get them with a DMCA takedown. You can get them delisted from Google mm -hmm. so that the only way people can find them is if they're frequenting that site and using that site's search engine. If, you, if those are people that are there, those weren't my customers anyway. Like people who are scouring, sc scouring. is that a real word? Scour scouring. scouring. Um, you know, shifty websites like that. Uh, these are not people who would have been my customers to begin with. The people who are our customers are general, you know, the people like us, regular people who aren't necessarily looking to constantly get freebies or to literally steal something from other people. So it isn't, a, in a sense, it's not lost revenue because we weren't going to get their mm -hmm. money anyway. It's annoying. Uh, but again, trying to do something retroactively yeah. is very difficult. The best thing we can do is have them delisted so that when the average person maybe does a search and might find that and kind of either be confused by it or tempted because it looks like, oh, that looks for free. I'll download that. Uh, they won't be found in Google. Well, the problem with like Ted's woodworking is they charge for like, mm -hmm. and I, I have to imagine they, they're not updating that file. I mean, they're such an old, they just oh, went yeah. out at the it's time when in, in the 90s when they collected all those. I yeah. mean, it's hard to say. Yeah, it's an uphill battle. And it's and the, the shame and it, of it is, and it punishes the honest people if you do try to like put measures. Well, in. that's what I was going to say. You can do things to protect your digital content, but it all it just makes things more difficult for the honest people, and that's the wrong way to go about mm -hmm. it. So, uh, generally speaking, not much we can do. Yep. Um, this is an interesting question. Apoapina? I, I just pulled it. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting question. As I understand, Mark doesn't have any formal training in the craft. <laughs> Has it ever been a problem for you or you gotten any neg negativity about it? Um, well, as you can see, whether it was a problem or not, it hasn't stopped me from doing what I do, <laughs> yeah. uh, which I think is, is sort of out there as an example that it doesn't necessarily take a ton of formal training to be able to make some nice things. Uh, so, yeah, I don't have any formal schooling outside schooling. of... Um, Working with David. Working with David Marks, taking classes periodically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and the good thing is we live in a time now where you can kind of mentor with someone just simply by watching what they do. And if you have a really careful eye and you see someone build furniture over and over and over, you can actually catch a lot of little details that may not even be spoken. And, and these are, are ways that like by the time I worked with David Marks, I had seen every episode of Woodworks. And it was like I had already worked with him. I understood his methods. I knew exactly uh, we have this thing, this flush trimming operation. I know exactly how he would go about it because I've seen him do it so many times. Um, so we have a great opportunity now, more so than ever, um, to follow people who are really good at what they do. Maybe they do have formal training and see how they do things and adopt that you know, for our own. Uh, it has, there has been negativity, not in a long time though, uh, early on when I first started this, think about 2006. Right now, anybody, doesn't matter who they are, they can make a channel, they can get an Instagram account, they can go out there and be like, hey, I'm the woodworker guy, and maybe they're super funny, or they've got you know some little shtick that makes them very likable. So they get a huge crowd of people, and, it, and, it's, and it's just, it, it's something that's very possible now. Because a lot of people are already doing this, right? It's very acceptable to do this. When I started in 2006, it was like, 
who is this idiot and why should we pay attention to him? Because I didn't wait for someone to give me permission to start teaching people. I just started doing it. Mm -hmm. In 2006, no one else was doing it. So we got a lot of hate mail from usually, to be honest, just old stinky woodworkers who were just pissed that this, you know, young, I mean, I wasn't that young at the you time. Were, yeah. You were 27. Yeah, but still. It wasn't like You're I was a, under 30. I wasn't a teenager, right? You know, yeah, I know. at 27, I was on my second career by yeah, that time. You know right. what I mean? So it's not like I was a baby, but it was still, who's this young guy in the world of woodworking? You're young. I was young. Yeah, yeah. So who's this young tattooed, smart ass hoodie wearing guy? Oh, you, we still get that though. <laughs> I just don't let you <laughs> don't, see don't it. Don't share it with <laughs> me. Well, those people are going away though. I don't share that. Those people don't matter anymore. <laughs> no, but seriously, we would get people who were like, maybe they had a lot of schooling and maybe they, you know, they, the they, time in. they only have respect for people who were printed in publications like fine woodworking or maybe they were authors. Um, and I hadn't earned my place. The audience that I had, they didn't see that as something that I earned by having an education in woodworking. Um, but, you know, 15 years later, here we are. So I think it's been more than 15 years. Let's just call it 15 and leave it there. All right. <laughs> it's like it's like your age at a certain point. You get to a certain number you don't like, round just start going backwards. Yeah, round <laughs> just start going back down. I, I mean, I, it's funny because I remember when we first started, mm-hmm. you saying to me, uh, when I get older and grayer. Yeah, that's right. I said this is the one line of work, whereas I get older and grayer, that I will be respected more for what I do. And not seen as a liability. And Glenn, but that, I don't think that's as true as it as it was. Glenn though. said, and you didn't have tattoos. He did have. tattoos. Oh, I had tattoos. He you had, just couldn't see them. Couldn't see them. So there was a joke in what was it? The Trolls movie we just watched, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where he said something about let's the all rocker, get tattoos. The rock, the rock trolls. Yeah, let's get tattoos, but everywhere, everywhere but, but our face, so that we could still have office jobs. <laughs> Yeah, I've got tattoos on my back. I've got, I've always had tattoos on the upper arms, but I always wanted to make sure that if I needed to get an office job, uh, which you know, or a lab job is more accurate for me, um, <laughs> that I could look presentable. Uh, and it wasn't until, geez, after Mateo, after Ava, Ava. Or, or while you were pregnant with yeah. Ava, yeah. that I finally got the itch to do the tattooing that, like, oh, that I, I think always wanted to. I think this is my job. Yeah, I was like, I think, I think this is probably it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get any other job. Uh, and, and, you know, while we were uh, doing all that stuff, tattoos became a lot more acceptable, mm-hmm. too. So. Johnson Crafted Wood, wood Shop just did a super chat. He says, morning, I'm about to buy a new shop, new shop equipment. I'm leaning towards a 17-inch bandsaw instead of a cabinet table saw. Thoughts? Sure, that's a viable way to go. I don't like it. I mean, for me, personally, I still very much love my table saw. Use it for a lot of joinery. Use it for a lot of uh, cutting things down. But there are people who get a nice, well-tuned bandsaw you get a good carbide tip blade on there that thing can cut if it's well tuned can cut almost as clean as a table saw so if you want to do tenons on there mm-hmm. resawing um you know all kinds of joinery absolutely can be done with the bandsaw it's a lot safer too um that's one of the reasons why people kind of get away from a table saw because it truly is one of the most dangerous tools in the shop so you really got to justify its presence in the shop um, there are a lot of people who just love the bandsaw and it is a pure 100 percent substitute for the table saw. So it's up to you. I personally don't don't want to go that route. Maybe someday I will. I'm not there yet. Uh, so for me, I still like the table saw. Matthew Lee said, I have two paid courses, Guild and another one. The Guild lets you download the files. The other one doesn't. I prefer the Guild approach and it didn't stop me from downloading the other one anyway. 
That's exactly my point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing. There may be a day where we we have enough problems that we stop offering the downloads in the guild, but we're not there yet. No. And I don't even know what that would accomplish yeah. if we did. Um, well, it's nice because uh, guild members can download them, upload them to their um, Plex and watch it on their TV. Well, and truthfully, the downloads don't cost us anything. Yeah, like, I yeah. mean, it costs us something in a yearly sense, but it's not being metered. So if somebody downloads, I prefer that. Like, if you're going to watch these videos 20 times, mm -hmm. please download them. Watch them over and over. And this way yep. you don't have to connect to the internet to watch them. Uh, and I don't have to pay for the streaming of those video files. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, please download them. <laughs> uh, Jeannie, by the way, Jeannie misses, oh, uh, misses the soul patch. Look, it's still here. It's, it's sort of It's there. just a little shorter. Yeah. <laughs> you guys want to know the story with the soul patch? I love the soul patch. I may have told that story. So I did not like that thing when you did that, when you did the yeah little goatee, oh, little chin was, action. I did not like that at all. Well, listen, lady, <laughs> you can't handle this much manliness. <laughs> the soul patch happened because um, I went to a Catholic high school, yeah, and had to shave daily. Yeah. So even when I didn't have acne, which of course in high school I did, yeah. But even when I didn't have acne, I looked like I had acne uh, because the shaving on a daily oh, it basis would, it would mess with your. Face. I would get nasty, nasty razor burn, and one of the most sensitive areas on my face is under my lower lip. Mm -hmm. And as a hairy Italian, I have a good, very dense, <laughs> dense selection of hair follicles in this area, and shaving that was just friggin' brutal. Mm. So as soon as I got into a point where I was like, well, I can still be clean shaven, but I could have some kind of facial hair, the first facial hair I wanted was the one that caused me the most pain. Yeah. So that if I just, I could shave everything else, just don't make me shave that spot, and we'll be good. The other spot that was bad was my neck. Mm -hmm. But of course, I can't just let hair grow on my neck. <laughs> neck beard. And then shave everything else. <laughs> to be a true neck beard would be something else, but... Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> okay. So what else we got here? Uh, I got a I got a super chat here from how would you say his name? And um, Adendora. 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 Uh, so I made a swing and painted it with outdoor paint, but it's still starting to cut. It's yeah. starting cupping. I thought paint was the best outdoor finish. It can be in some respects. What kind of wood? Would would the type of wood cause? Sure, cupping? the type of wood can be a factor. The um, condition of the wood when it went outside if it had a big moisture change uh paint slows that down but it doesn't stop it completely uh you know wood is wood so no matter what you coat it with you can take every precaution possible you could do everything right and still have problems that's the joy of woodworking my friend <laughs> the frustration welcome, of welcome to the frustration that is woodworking sometimes <laughs> The stuff just moves. <laughs> uh, Professor John said he liked the new Trolls movie. It was just as much fun for the adults as kids. He didn't like it. I a, enjoyed it. I'm not a musical guy. I, see, I like musicals. The rock and roll bits, I kind of was like, all yeah. right, this is kind of cool. Yeah. But the rest of it, I'm like, just give me five minutes without singing to each other, you stupid trolls. <laughs> you don't need to sing constantly. <laughs> it, it's like, it, it feels like... Um, I don't know, like tween bait. It was cute. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just, it's, it wasn't. It's it, that that is yeah. what it is. It's yeah. exactly what it's it is. What it is. But I I I tried to nap through half of it. You did. You did pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's not for me. Yeah. That's all. It is a beautifully animated thing, and it was fun watching it in the home theater. Mm. I could say that yeah, visually, it was, it was great. It was a nice break. <laughs> but it's just not. It's not my thing. <laughs> Kevin Windsor did a super chat and said auto dict. What what dictate? Auto dict. Polymath. 
uh, autodidact polymath. polymath. What? Not a bad thing. What? I don't understand what he's saying. It must have been in relation to something else we talked about. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> autodidact. I'm going to have to look that up. Sounds, sounds complicated, Kevin. It's very sciencey. Sounds like math. <laughs> Uh, Chase Moore is in I the chat. I do have more questions here. Okay. So. Working on the Rubo project, and I was wondering if I could hook a noob up with a lift hardware, you would... What? Wait. Okay. If you could hook up a noob with li a list of hardware, you would recommend for it, like brand and quantity of dogs and holds, etc. Isn't that um, in the... Well, thing? the Rubo project... Does it have a list in the Rubo project? Well, it, well, here's the thing, though. I mean, the stuff that I used on it, I believe we did list those. I thought so. But stuff like dogs, um, the dogs are part of the project. If you go with circle dogs, um, you know, three-quarter inch holes, that's not something that I listed a lot of parts for because I didn't do those, right? I've got the square dog holes. <clears throat> but I'm trying to think. Um, if you are looking for uh, circle dog hole accessories, I'm going to send you to Lee Valley. Like, there's other companies. But Lee Valley makes so many things that are awesome for three-quarter-inch dog holes that you should definitely look into. Little snap-up things, you know, the, the little uh, bench pups. The What do they have? The prairie dogs or something like that now. Um, definitely look at their stuff. It's fantastic. <laughs> Matthew helped us out. Autodictate is self-taught. Polymath knows many subjects. Okay. Well, there you go. That's uh, That would be a lot of Googling for me to figure out that. <laughs> but it sounds like a compliment, so I'll take it. <laughs> um. Someone asked about again. I just saw it. Saw it zip right by. He says, "Did someone? Did Mark talk about the chisel test already?" Here's the thing. Uh, I know there's a chisel test by uh, what is it? Wood by Wright. We oh. talked about it last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why does everyone want my opinion on this? I don't know. Not everyone. Right. A couple people. <laughs> but you know, when I see it twice, I'm like, "Stop bugging me, <laughs> both of you." Both of you. <laughs> I don't. I haven't seen it. But, I mean, it sounds interesting, but chisels are not one of those things. Like, I'm the exception. People ju generally just don't, like, change chisels all the time. Right. Like, now that I have chisels that are except working you. well. That's what I said, <laughs> except me. Uh, the PMV11, I don't envision myself, you know, shopping around. Um, but here's the problem. Especially when you get into the lower-priced budget chisels, it's harder for them to get consistent results for every batch that goes out. It may sound funny. But good example, we got a guy, I, again, I haven't seen this review. I don't know what James Wright did in that. Uh, but it sounds like one of his recommendations was for a Narex set. There's a guy who came into the guild who was like, I watched the video. I thought it was the best, you know, the best results for the price. And look at what I got. And the chisels like lifted at the tip. And he can't get it to, to flatten the tip because it's kind of like a bowed chisel. Yikes. That's a budget chisel set. That's what happens. So it's hard to put a whole lot of stock into a side-by-side -side review unless you actually bought multiple sets so you can get a wider selection from what that company actually produces. Blue Spruce Chisels makes fantastic chisels. But I had a bum set, right? In spite of the fact that they're like 85 bucks a piece, I had a bum set. That's the way this manufacturing goes sometimes. So anyway, I don't. I have to watch his video to be able to give you some insights about it. But I don't know why. I'm trying to figure out why you want my opinion on it. If he gave you results, the results are the results. I don't. I don't know what I can bring to the party there. The party. If that makes any you sense. Is there the some? If you want my opinion on it, tell me what aspect you're looking for my opinion on it, and then I'll take some time to go and watch it. I mean, I want to watch it anyway. He's a nice guy. Uh, Jason Taylor. 
uh, we get Dougie if we order a project. Sure, you can have Dougie. <clears throat> Go ahead. I'll give them to you for free. Yes. You don't even have to order a project. <laughs> if you pay for shipping, because okay, he's going to be heavy. It's like um, 70 pounds. <laughs> I, I, will, I will send him to you. All righty. Todd. Todd. Todd Nod. Any opportunities for Shannon Rogers to do something in the guild? I know he has his own school, and that's the reason. Yeah, you just answered your own question. <laughs> but it would be cool to have a wood talk build. Yeah. The problem is it's really hard to get someone who, especially like Shannon, who has a day job, mm -hmm. it's hard to tell him, hey, take that same amount of time and effort that you would have put into the hand tool school for a project and give that to me and now share a little bit with me. Right. Right. That's how it would work out. That's hard for Shannon to even, you know, to even think about doing. He's got his own thing. Um, it, it's even it's even hard for me to do that with people who are just popular YouTubers, let's say. Um, <laughs> those are people who are not real good candidates for guild instruction. Um, we can go into it in depth as to why that is. But when someone has enough of their own empire uh it, it, it becomes a little bit harder to justify for us to kind of collaborate on something for a paid venture like that. Got a question here from David Clark. I'm looking into a combo jointer slash planer. What is your take on the 12 inch versus the 16th version, 16 inch versions? There's a big price jump. I do have a, a six, whatever, 32 mm -hmm. drum, sander drum sander as well. And I'm leaning towards the 12 inch version. 12 inches limiting. The, the, I think it really comes down to Will the 12-inch planer give you enough capacity? You know, are you at some point going to want to plane something wider than 12 inches? I've got a 15-inch planer. I have yet to have a situation where I go, wow, I really wish I had, I think I had a 20-inch planer for a while. Um, I wish I had that 20-inch back. You know, 15 works perfectly fine for me. 12 may work just fine for you. Lots of people get away with little benchtop planers that are no bigger than 12 inches wide and it works just fine. So you might be okay with that, uh, but it really comes down to your work habits, the kind of material you're running through that planer. Bertie Green says, hi, I was wondering which hand tools I should get that look good and don't cost much. Uh, which, which ones are key? Oh God. That's just depends, right? It really what depends. What it de you're working on. It depends on what kind of work you want to do. Do you want to go whole hog into hand tools or do you want to take more of a hybrid approach? Um, I, it's a, that's a big question. It's a little bit tricky to answer a question of that magnitude here. <clears throat> but I'm going to say, look at our website. I do have some stuff when we released the hybrid woodworking book. I was talking about that quite a bit. Uh, but also the hybrid woodworking book is a resource if you want to go into a you know, blending power tools and hand tools, that book lays out everything you would want to buy as an accessory to your power tool woodworking. If you want to go straight hand tools, look to guys like Shannon, mm -hmm. Paul Sellers, you know, we just talked about James Wright, Wood by Wright. Uh, you know, these are all hand tool guys that will give you a much better idea of what that, that selection of hand tools looks like when you aren't accessorizing them with power tools. I'm putting a link into some of the the uh, posts within uh, the Wood Whisper for okay. hybrid, hybrid woodworking. There's a ton of videos and articles that you can find, um, like chisel sizes for the hybrid woodworker. There you go. And shoulder plane magic. You know what's <laughs> funny? Chisel size is something that I have changed because mm -hmm. I went to Imperial from Metric, and there is a strong argument for the use of metric chisels for the hybrid woodworker. 
because they're slightly undersized, they're imperial counterparts, mm -hmm. and it actually makes it easier to adjust joinery if your chisels aren't exactly the width of the thing you just cut with your router. So, But I've gone... I haven't changed my mind on that, yeah. but now I have. I don't have metric chisels mm. anymore. Nathan wants to know, <laughs> what piece of equipment do you regret investing in? I think we've had this question before. Um, something you purchased and never used, or was it just a piece of crap? <laughs> <clears throat> um, I don't have it anymore. Like, if I yeah, thought it was yeah. a bad investment, it's gone. Yeah. Oh, let's see. It, I mean, the thing is, I also make decisions based on criteria that other people would not mm -hmm. have to think about. The multi-router was an example. Right. I purchased that because I wanted it. The, it turns out that you just can't make a bunch of content with a multi-router because people will get upset because it's like, well, that's nice for you, <clears throat> but I don't have a multi-router. How do I make that mortise? Right. So it becomes difficult when you're uh, in instructing people. Chuck Hart says, Mark, I just finished a deck in cedar. I need to use some something for UV protection. I don't want it to turn gray. Uh, I know I will have to do this every one to two years, but cedar is what we got out here in the Northwest. Any ideas? Did we have, was cedar, or no, was it, what was the one in Arizona that we you had to finish outside? What? The beams. Was it oh. mesquite? No, no, those beams, uh, they might have been, I don't know. It could have been dug fir. Mm. It could have been alder. I remember Who knows you, in Arizona? having to do something with those outside. Uh, I'm going to recommend the stuff that I'm going to put on my pergola. I mentioned this probably last week or the week before. Is um, penofin. Ooh, what's that? P-E-N-O-F-I-N. Penofin. Penofin. It's a penetrating oil finish. That's what it says. Yeah. One thing I have... You have to a, see the red can, oh, is red, the red label. Can. I'm going to put this in our Amazon uh, shop. So if you head on over to amazon.com slash shop slash the wood whisperer, it'll be under Friday Live. One thing I've come around on to, uh, there are projects, especially if they are not full exposure, they don't get sun all day long. There are projects that can absolutely take a film finish, whether it's like a CPES epoxy and then epiphanes on top of that. There are projects that can take those and may not need to be touched for years, right? Years can go by before you start to see some problems in the surface and you want to uh, clean it up, sand it, and apply a fresh coat. But if it is a exposed project, I would not put a film on that anymore. Exposed projects, I think, are much better off with a non-film forming finish. Films eventually crack. They degrade in UV. But oils don't necessarily do that. So an oil that penetrates and just kind of lives in the wood fibers, it gives the, the wood an opportunity to expand and contract without splitting a film, which is what can happen. Uh, but it also starts to allow the water to run off. It doesn't let the water absorb. But if you go too long without retreating it, you can end up with a problem because it's just not that heavy duty of a finish. So as long as you commit to a yearly or maybe every two years sort of application schedule, you can keep that thing looking nice and protected and you don't have to worry about the film ever just kind of degrading and causing it to just look like crap. I mean, think about our uh, table that we had out there. We didn't even want to eat on it. It looks so bad with yeah. all the cracks and yeah. you might, you know, get a piece of finish under your fingernail if you yeah. run your hand across it. It was so unpleasant. I'd much rather have an oil finish that never will do that, but requires more maintenance. So outdoor furniture, I guess it's the time of year yeah. to talk about it, but we've been having a lot of conversations about outdoor furniture. You have a question? I got like four more. Okay. Um, <clears throat> my good buddy, Chris Kalnazzi says... On the finishing touches on my Rubo, which includes the optional swing-away seats that Benchcrafted offers, I mounted one under the tail vise so that it swings out in front 
and you could straddle the front leg. Rear legs are wanting to lightly lift. I guess my cherry and maple bench isn't as heavy as I thought. I think the under tool, I'm sorry, under bench tool cabinet would be enough counterweight. Any other ideas for adding weight that wouldn't look bad. Also considering bolting it down, but don't prefer it. Yeah, if you add a tool cabinet and then you put tools in it, man, I gotta assume that that's enough weight because the workbench on its own should be pretty close to easily supporting your weight. Um, I've never tested that and I've got my eye on that swing out bench. I, I kind of like that concept. So I don't know, maybe mine would do that too. Um, but I gotta think with a loaded tool cabinet inside the bench, man, I gotta think that that's not going anywhere. So, and, and that's, that's a functional change. It's not like you're throwing sandbags on it. Uh, that's a functional change. It actually does something, it looks good. I would do that first before I worried about bolting it down or doing anything else that's like a little bit more dramatic. Tony Tang. Tony Tang. I like his name. Yeah. Uh, Adendora says, we're all stuck at home trying to figure out crap to do in our yards. <laughs> yes. Uh, we were doing that, and then it snowed. I know. We got all ready for spring. We're like, oh, yeah, let's fire up the barbecue, baby. It's going to be outside. And then it was like, it's snowing for two days straight. <laughs> I know. Denver, this, you're crazy. This weekend, it's supposed to be like 60 or 70, so I'm like, yeah. all right, I'm It'll okay. come back quick. It'll be. Tony Tang has two questions. He says, what mallet and hammer do you recommend to assemble and disassemble? My cheap rubber mallet doesn't push the joints together and leaves black marks. I don't know if you can grab that, Nicole. What it's am I grabbing? right there. What am I grabbing? The dead blow hammer. This one? Yes, ma'am. black one? Yep. Standard dead blow hammer. Uh, sometimes we kind of take it for granted and think that people know this stuff. Uh, dead blow is usually filled with some schmutz. So what happens is when you hit a surface, it moves and you don't get that bounce. Is it this one? Any dead blow mallet. Oh, they have like three piece sets. You got them in different sizes, oh, different wow. colors, uh, but they're all pretty much the same thing. And it is like a hard plastic. You would think that it would leave dents, but because of the way that it's filled, I don't know if it's got a like shot in there or something, yeah. but the way that that works, the fact that those pieces inside can move, it's very heavy, but it doesn't bounce. And that's what a dead blow. Well, it's usually under automotive. Oh, well, I guess maybe if you're hitting like body parts to get, <laughs> not body parts, <laughs> auto body parts. <laughs> Um, this one's 10 bucks. But the idea is it's non-marring and it's a lot less likely to dent. Now, don't get me wrong. Different species of wood, you know, very light species, you can dent if you are if you hit hard enough, uh, but you're a lot less likely how, how much, to dent. Because they usually like three pounds, four pounds. Do we know how many pounds that is? Um, I don't know. Hmm. 221, Two 222, whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But dead blow hammers, you know that's what? what you want to look at, Tony. I'm just going to put the four-piece dead blow set uh, with various weights yeah. in our uh, Amazon store. <laughs> John, and then you could go from there. John's got a good point. He says, don't hit it with nails, though. This is not a hammer. Right? Yeah. It's a, well, it's a hammer. It's a dead blow hammer. This is not a traditional hammer. This thing should have one job and one job only, and that is to take your furniture parts and hit them with it. Tippity-tap. Tap, tap, tap. Little tippity-taps. Tippity-tap. Okay, second part to Tony's question. My preferred height for a workbench is about two inches lower than my table saw. If I have an outfeed table two inches lower than a table saw, is there any safety concern? There's no height adjustment on my table saw. Okay, two inches lower than your table saw. What? Tony sounds vertically challenged. I'm trying to think of why you would want to go two inches shorter. Regardless, your personal preference is what makes sense for you. 
Um, yeah, that's a problem. I think immediately when you go to the back of the table saw, if there's a two inch drop, you don't have the support that you think you have. You could still have a piece lift up, which is a potentially dangerous thing. So you might want to consider some, maybe a two tiered, this may be getting really complicated and silly, but if you truly want a work surface that's lower, the, the outfeed table, unless you're cutting very, very long parts, the outfeed table, the most important area is maybe, I don't know, 12 inches behind the table saw, 12 to 16 inches or so. Once you get past that point, if it drops down a little bit, it's not that big of a deal because eventually, once you get your pieces through and you're mostly through the cut, if the, the wood just kind of sags down most of the time, it's not that it's lifting, it's the wood just bending. Um, if it hits a surface that's two inches lower, it's still gonna provide some support, right? Uh, for instance, if you're using roller stands behind your table saw for support, you actually would not want your roller stand to be at the height of your table saw if it's really far out because that wood is just gonna sag a little bit. So if your roller stand is the height of your table saw, you're gonna, thank you, Google. Um, you're gonna hit that and it's gonna be problematic. So you have to lower that anyway. So there is some logic to having a extra support surface that's maybe 12 inches giving you a little bit more critical outfeed support and then you can drop down from that point. So maybe get creative with something like that, but it sounds like that would be a pain to build. <laughs> but it, it might be something that would work for you. Michael Lust wants to know, uh, Supernova G3 Chuck. Yeah. I have a Laguna Revo sure. mini, MIDI lathe. Do you have an aftermarket chuck? If so, which one do you have? We do have the Supernova, yeah. I thought. No. Don't we? Oh, uh, maybe maybe that was a long, a long time, time ago. A long time ago. Yeah. Uh, we have a, I've got one of the ones from, um, who's the carbide cutter company? Uh, I don't know. Uh, what do you, you know what I'm talking about? They, they popularized the carbide cutter scrapers for turning tools. So I'm skipping them. Easy spaces. tools? Yes. Easy wood tools. Easy wood tools has a chuck. They sent me one. Never used it. The only chuck that I've used is the one that Ashley told me to buy when she comes out here. And that's the Vicmark chucks. Vicmark. Where's, how do you speak? V-I-C-M-A-R-K? M-A-R-K? I believe, yeah. Oh, or no, it's M-A-R-C. M-A-R-C. Oh. oh, how dare I? <laughs> how dare I? Uh, but Vicmark is like one is like top of the line stuff as far they as They don't sell that on Amazon. Maybe not. It's like Supernova. Because didn't we have like the Supernova for a while mm -hmm. back in Arizona? Some kind of Nova Chuck. Well, What's up, buddy? A kid. All right. Do you need anything? Okay, you can play. Okay, Mike Davies says, after finally convincing myself to spend the money and getting a Veritas plane, I can now understand why you pay seemingly ridiculous amounts of money for high-end hand tools versus what you get on Craigslist or the big box store. Is Starrett, Woodpecker, Bridge City the same huge difference when it comes to marking and measuring tools? Haven't been able to talk myself into a $150 combo square yet. <sighs> I'm going to say the quality difference. <laughs> that was a really pause. I, really, I want to give this a lot of thought before I say anything. <laughs> I think the quality difference is comparable. Like when you pick up a Starrett square, I got one sitting right over there on my table saw, and you compare that to an Empire square that you could buy at Lowe's. It's a night and day difference in the quality. The question is whether or not that difference in quality translates to a tangible difference in your work. Now with a hand plane, yeah, it can translate to a tangible difference. You can have cut quality issues. Um, you can have performance on a plane that's so bad that you just don't even want to use it, 
right? But once you pick up a Lee Valley, Lee Nielsen, um, you know, any of these higher end tools, and, and all you have to do is kind of hone that blade, put it together, and you go, and you're like, whoa, that is a game changer, right? So I think when you're talking about the measuring and marking tools, yes, the quality is comparable, but I don't know that the quality gain is going to yield something that is uh, tangible that you can really sink your teeth into, which is why a lot of people, when they see these new woodpecker designs come out, they're like, well, that's nice, but you know, I already have an accurate way to measure two inches. <laughs> like, do I need to pay $80 to get that a little bit more accurate, right? So it, it kind of also depends on your budget, depends on what level of woodworking you do or where you're at in your woodworking curve. I don't think someone who's just starting out should go, which is hilarious because if you look at Instagram, you're going to see the opposite of this. Um, but people who are just starting out, they don't need a woodpecker square. Like that's something you get when you have, you know, done a lot enough work to be frustrated with what else is out there. And that woodpecker square then solves a problem for you. That's a good time to buy something like that. Um, but a lot of times because they're, you know, it's, it's a marketing thing. A lot of fairly new people have a wall full of red tools. And that's, you know, that's the way things go online these days. So does that answer the question? I don't know. You didn't even listen. No, I didn't. You're such a cheer. I'm trying to get ready for the next I'm question. I'm doing a show over here. I'm doing a show over here. Okay. Um, <laughs> my last question, and I'll be done. Uh, Steve B. says, I'm building boxes to store kitchen utensils. They'll go on a kitchen island. I use poplar, knowing it had a tendency to have wide variations in grain and color. Why, you might ask? I'm a rookie, and wood is expensive. I'm starting to think this first version will be a prototype. It's what I call the ones that I don't like. They're all prototypes. <laughs> How would you finish the prototype to keep it food safe? And when I go to build the real one, um, any suggestions on wood species and finish? So boxes to store kitchen utensils. Man, you don't need a whole lot on that. You mm -hmm. know, just a simple oil finish. Tried and true oil is a, is a good option. Um, shoot, there's, you know, Osmo, Rubio, Julio. <laughs> Turbo tags. Turbo tags. There's, there's, um, I don't think something that holds kitchen utensils has to have the same food safeness <laughs> as the kitchen utensils themselves, right? This is just something that's holding things. The, the key for this thing is for it to be somewhat durable, for it to be able to resist moisture. I know I'm guilty of putting utensils in a tray or something, even though they're not 100% dry. So you wanna make sure it's not going to soak up any water. Um, so, you know, I'm actually gonna change my answer on that now. You can probably get away with any finish. I don't think you really need to worry about food safeness so much as, um, you know, uh, resisting water absorption. Mm -hmm. So I would experiment with it since this is your prototype. Um, experiment with something, maybe something you haven't tried or something, you, what is it, distracting? Yeah, the, the, the chat is saying that it's hilarious when you pick up a tool, you play with it the entire time. I can't help it. <laughs> you definitely don't want this to be <laughs> no. in front of me. It could be no, problematic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I fidget, I fidget. It's all right, it's all right. <laughs> so yeah, I think maybe take this opportunity to try out a finish because as you're building the, the good one, you can kind of get an idea like, oh, was this film finish a good idea here? Is this holding up well? Or if you put an oil on it, maybe you test and see, is this oil doing enough to protect uh, this utensil holder? And I'm done with my uh, Patreon uh, Well, we questions. have a few more. A couple more came on <clears throat> Patreon that I'll, I'll read to you here. Okay. Uh, John Ulrich says, what's it like to do woodworking? I can remember way back four weeks ago when I had what we call in the olden days, free time. <laughs> Which is true yeah. if you, you have kids. 
So kids you're having or, a totally different experience than people that don't have kids. Or a job that yeah. did not get this yeah, as like forced that, time off. Essential workers. And a lot of these essential workers are now like busier yep. than they've ever been. Yep. I'm not an essential worker, but I am busier than I've ever yeah, been. Yeah, same. Well, and then balancing and then the kids. The kids. Which I just heard them run. I'm one. I'm wondering if they're going to open the door. I heard pitter patter as well. <laughs> Although that just may be someone running to the bathroom. <laughs> Similar G Force Racing Twenty says, "How can I work uh, woodwork while I'm supposed to be working from home?" Yeah. Well, you know, I used I used to have a, a corporate job, and I worked from home. And I, the way I worked was, I worked when I needed to work, and when that wasn't, I didn't need to work. Then mm -hmm. I did other stuff. So sure. that's the flexibility of working from home usually. Is it's the you, challenge though. Yeah. <clears throat> so Budgeting your time uh, to be effective at both things or mm -hmm. making, making time for the fun stuff and not letting the work stuff get in the way. Yeah. That's, that's a big challenge. Yeah. And then, and then do what, what I do, which is where the fun stuff is the work. Yeah. And then try to figure out when to stop. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the challenge. Yeah. Like, like right now I was, you know, just got to a point, we talked about it last week, where I'm just super stressed out about the world mm -hmm. and just things going on and just being super busy. And I was like, well, I want to, I should take some time off. But for me, a lot of times time off is like, well, I think maybe I'll just go into the yeah. shop for a couple of minutes and now I'm working again. But where is that line between fun and work? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes for me, I've got to force myself to put my butt in the couch and play a video game. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's a forced time off. So yeah. I don't know. It's challenging for everybody. Well, and I know <clears throat> when I first started working from home, it was really, I thought, because I'm a sort of, I'm somewhere in between. I'm not super antisocial, but there's times where I just, I'm yeah. an introvert. Well, you get, if you're isolated too long, you get kind of anxious yeah. to, to see other people. Um, I'm just not enough for you. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. So when I start started working from home, I was trying to balance, and that, and that's the hard for. I think a lot of people are going through that right now. Is yeah. is is trying to figure out when should I be working, when should I cut it off? And it, I, I will say, making yourself a dedicated space for where you work was an important part for me. Ded so. Dedicated space and dedicated schedule. Yeah, I think a lot of if you take it kind of like oh, I'll do a little bit now, do a little bit later. Don't do that. If you're working yeah. from home, treat it treat it like you're at the office, and I think things will go a whole lot easier for you. Oh, my gosh. Jason Taylor, I'm supporting a 1,000 teachers who have to teach remotely now. Good oh, times. Woo! That's, you know, uh, earlier in the show, uh, Nathan had asked me how the scholarships for the shop teachers have gone. And I've gotten, actually, a lot of requests, I think around 30. Mm -hmm. um, and I write back and I say, okay, here's what I can do for you. And I'd say probably about 15 of them have, have gotten back to me. Okay. So I think a lot of them are still figuring out how to do online learning. So I've, I've helped a, a large number. I'm still, I get probably about four requests uh, a week. Um, and I'm still kind of waiting to, yeah. to make my final post. I need to go through. I'm, I'm juggling a lot right now. I, got, I still got PTA stuff. Mm-hmm. Still got wood whisperer stuff. To answer some woodworking questions. No, I, I'm talking. <laughs> I'm bored. I'm bored already, Nicole. That's how I'm I feel sorry. when you're talking. <laughs> yeah, but this is a woodworking show. <laughs> I know. This is not a Mark and Nicole show. Eh, no, it is. Yeah, but to a point. Yeah. To a point. Insecurity creeping in. I'm, fall, I'm falling asleep here. <laughs> oh my god, that's a lot of students. Anyway, go. You ask a question. I don't have questions. Oh. You have the questions, <laughs> but you're you're talking. Okay. Read that one. I'm built. This is Matt. Roberson. Roberson. 
I'm building some cabinets for my grandpa's new house. Unfortunately, he's rather nostalgic and 30 years ago had a house that had cabinets uh, with shellacked solid oak doors and hunter green painted face frames. Yikes, right? My dad and I have both tried to convince him otherwise, but he's dead set on it. Two questions. Uh, first, what material would you use for the painted face frame? Second, if you had to perform this egregious act, what paint would you use? I was curious about your thoughts on tinted Sherwood cab acrylic lacquer like you used on the kids. Okay, I am not the person to ask about paint. I, I don't do much with paint. And what you're suggesting there is probably the direction I'd go. Tinted lacquer is something that makes a whole lot of sense to me. Um, I understand clear finishes and I understand clear finishes with a little bit of pigment added. Once you make it all pigment and now it's truly paint, it's a little bit hard for me to, to I don't, it's a world of finishes I don't really explore very much. So my suggestion would be that. Is that the best idea? Probably not. Um, what you might want to do is actually go to a good quality paint store and talk to them. Sometimes they do have people there who know what the heck they're talking about and it may just be a simpler option to find a good quality paint that's in the right color with the right level of protection and you don't have to worry about mixing things yourself. Um, that might be something to look into. Um, but again, just when it comes to, to paints, I'm just not that well versed in it. Got a couple super chats. This one's from Jeremy Spence. Just wanted to thank you guys uh, for all you've been doing, keeping us entertained with the twice a week morning show and stuff. Oh, cool. Well, we'll try to keep doing yeah, it. Yeah, we'll try. This morning we had a moment where I'm like, if we get interrupted again today, we're not going to do Tuesday shows. Like, <laughs> it, it, it's such a uh, difficult thing to continue when I know a kid needs help. And I know Nicole's helping him yeah. or her. But I like, it's so distracting. Yeah. It's very frustrating. So I'm like, we'll go back to once a week if this keeps happening. Yeah, imagine but if they're you doing were the good one today. and they're doing it. What do you mean? <laughs> you, you stay out here and talk. Yeah. Alex said, I checked, uh, checked my Narex. What is it? Rick, Richter? Yeah, I think that's the, um, like the, the set. They have a bunch of different sets. Uh -huh. I think there's one called Richter. Narex Richter set. And they do have a constant high spot. Looking uh -huh. closely, the front... Uh, 42 millimeters was flat before polishing, leaving a slight ridge, but the front oh, is perfectly flat. Almost one and a half inches is perfectly flat. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. The guy in the guild it looked like he had set the chisel down and had feeler gauges underneath the tip mm -hmm. so that the lion share. I mean, the good thing with the chisel is you only really have to worry about the front inch at the most. Um, but if it dips, if it like slips up and slopes up and you can get feeler gauges under there, um, it's, it might be a little bit of a challenge to get that thing polished flat. Um, but again, it's, it's only the bottom inch, so it's not that big of a deal, but I don't know. He was having a problem with it. <laughs> what are you talking about, Josh? Have you seen the Nicole section of the show notes? It's huge. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> uh, let's see here. I think we're about done, actually. Yeah, I got one more super chat that came in from TT. TT. Thanks, Mark. I'm vertically challenged. I like how... Oh, that's t uh, Tony. Oh, oh. I like how Nicole says she likes my name, yet never pronounces my last name correctly. <laughs> well, that's, that's Nicole for you. <laughs> you probably will never, uh, you probably never will. Given your track record. Yeah, yeah. it's all right. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. We Love appreciate show, that. Thank you, TT. Okay. <laughs> Is that Tony? Yeah, Tony Tang. TT. Oh, okay. what, what do I say? I don't Tony know. Tang? You probably pronounce it Tong. No, I don't. Toing? <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Ting. <laughs> Uh, what else we got? Anything? Uh, I think that's that's the, about it. Do you have a someone says Nicole telling to be nice? 
<laughs> this is the Mark Mark being mean to Nicole show. <laughs> it's not the Mark and Nicole show. <laughs> okay, what else we got? That's it. We're done? We're done. It's, Do you want to pick um, uh, oh, sure, sure, a winner sure. real You know quick? what? I'm going to pick it from questions I pulled from the chat since... Tuesday is an unscheduled show. Mm -hmm. We'll do the Friday show from the Patreon questions. Okay. I'm going to give it to... Picking at random, but not random. <laughs> uh, let's random. do... Let's do... Uh, Arpo... Apo rapping. Apo. Apo apin... No, apina. Is it? Apina. Yes. Are you still there? A yep, double still A, there. double A-P-O. Apo apina. So uh, you want a guild project? I'm going to message you in the chat right now. Um, send me an email, Nicole at the Wood Whisperer. He's been active in the chat today. Yeah, he's he's. Asked a good question she. here. Um, you love your job, but surely sometimes you get motivation droughts now and then. Sort of. I get frustration. The moments I don't really get motivation droughts. I'm always motivated to do something, and that's I think that's part of my personal problem is I can't sit still. So um, I'm constantly on the go and it's just a question of which thing am I focused on. So when I have too many things going on at once, I get frustrated and sometimes that frustration leads to inaction because there's just too many things to do. I throw my hands in the air and I'm like, all right, I'm doing nothing. Um, but usually it's not a lack of motivation. Plenty of motivation. I love woodworking. I love building furniture. Uh, I, I like running my business. That's something I enjoy. So all these things, you know, keep me motivated. But um, I just get frustrated sometimes and just want to give up. So there's that. But it's not a motivation thing so much as there's just too much going on and I can't focus. And you shut down. And I want to shut down. Yeah. Because it's just too many things. That's when I make a list. <clears throat> yeah. I make a list and I start marking things off. Well, and we got to a point like that when, when Jay couldn't come to work. Mm -hmm. There's just too many things going on. And I'm like, I, I want to focus over here, but I can't. I had that, you know, the, the new beginner good. woodworker thing. Yeah. Like I had so many You're things I wanted to execute. You're not good when it comes to uh, fractured <clears throat> thoughts. No, which is also why a lot of people say, do you have the problem with incomplete projects? Yeah. There is yeah. one common woodworker malady that I do not suffer from, and that's incomplete projects. Yeah. I, I, I hate like the hang chairs because I couldn't finish the upholstery. Right. upholstery it drove me nuts, but I still, I got them out of the shop, then it was out of sight, out of mind. Um, I, I generally do not leave a project undone. I finish everything before moving on to the next thing. I have to finish a thought. It's weird. I don't mm -hmm. know. But a lot of people do suffer from that where they, mm -hmm. they have projects that like five projects that are all in, in process or in progress. Um, I cannot live like that. I don't, I don't think I, I, I like to see it done. That's what like, I mean. Mark like, it off the... List. That's the reason to do it for yeah. me is the finish to get to the end and to not get to the end. I wouldn't even want to start it if I can't get to the end. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think All we're really good. Um, thanks. Uh, well, I'm glad the kids were quiet this yeah. whole time. That we'll was good we'll for the most the, part. I bet you they found <clears throat> the chocolate from Easter. <clears throat> or they've turned the the kitchen <laughs> into a giant bath. Yeah, Eva <laughs> always gets in the flooded water. with water. Oh my gosh! All right. Well, thank you for watching, everybody, and we will uh, we'll see you on Friday. We'll do another yep, show we'll this week. Yep, do a week. Friday show because today was the bonus show, so no after show today, uh, but we will have one on Friday. Yep. All right. Thank Bye. you, everybody. Have a great week. Bye.